Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 188. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Well, today our guest is Daniel Amaduri. Daniel is the co-founder of the Future Money Trends newsletter. He is a self-made multimillionaire, full-time fact finder, and proud father of three. Now, after warning family and friends in 2007 about the coming market and mortgage collapse, Daniel started his own YouTube channel, Vision Victory, which has received 10 million video views. On March 18th, 2008, Daniel called for the Dow 8,000 point drop, the collapse of Lehman Brothers, AIG, and Washington Mutual. During the mortgage crisis, he helped people buy put options on countrywide mortgage, which saw gains of 1,400%. Now, unfortunately, not listening to his own advice, Daniel made a bad bet with Southern California's real estate market, which wiped out his entire income and savings, leaving him broke. With a special focus and passion for personal finance, he rebuilt his wealth and declared financial independence in 2012. Having no mortgage and enough rental properties to pay for his lifestyle, he was able to build his business larger than he could have ever imagined by not focusing on money, but by focusing on delivering value to the people he surrounds himself with. Daniel's got a really exciting story and I'm excited to share it with you today. So let's jump into this week's episode. All right, today I welcome on the show, Daniel Amaduri. Daniel, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show. It's gonna be a lot of fun. You and I were just talking before the show got started. I think we've got some really cool topics to discuss. But before we get into all of that, we take a minute and just kind of explain who you are, your background and your journey up to this point. I know it's an exciting one and a lot of value from the listener's perspective, so. Thanks. I'm very passionate about anything related to money. I've always enjoyed it as a child and not the materialism of it, just how to make it, how to grow it, just always fascinated with it. And that turned into, you know, at 16 years old, I started buying businesses and stocks at 18 years old, six months out of high school, I bought my first rental property and uh, just started investing and just always thoroughly enjoyed it. Initially tried to get rich, blew myself up by 2008, second go around just wanted to not be poor and um, was able to declare financial independence around 2012 with my wife when our passive income was paying for our our lifestyle. Yeah, interesting. And I share a lot of those interests, Daniel, but it's almost got a negative stigma for people to say they're interested in money. That sounds like a, whoa, you can't just be interested in money, right? And while you're not saying you're interested in the little pieces of paper, you're interested in how to make it, how to multiply it, how to manage it, those kinds of things. But even still, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. So walk us through kind of your mindset you have with 
its money and how you use it. Sure, you're right. There's a huge stigma and a kind of a negative energy towards anybody who wants to make money, but everybody wants to make money. <laughs> and like being able to like out loud saying like, look, I love learning about money. I love everything about money. Like that's like, oh my gosh, the horror, right? Like I'm sure people yeah. are uncomfortable listening to me even say that, but it's actually like a big relief because it's like, look, everyone wants it. So I'm not going to hide it. I just say it out loud. But my view on money is it's simply a tool. It is not the ends to the mean. It, it is just simply a way. It's the brain to get you to things or it's think of it like a hammer or a screwdriver if you're going to build a house and the house that I wanted to build for my life was freedom I just wanted to be free that was one of the most important things to me was to not be told what to do I wanted to be able to sleep in which is highly valuable when you think about it like being I like people asking what time do you wake up I'm like well when I'm done sleeping and it's been that way for a long time now so that's what I wanted. I wanted personal freedom. And you have to buy your freedom. It just is what it is. You really have to buy your freedom. The only way to do that is to accumulate enough knowledge about how to use money. Because you don't have to be a millionaire to be financially independent. You can probably be financially independent with 350 grand. But you have to know how to use it. Because if the 350 grand sitting in a 401k, it's completely useless to you. 350 grand is sitting in three rental properties, per se, that might be completely paid off and partially paid off. Okay, all of a sudden, you might be making $3,000 a month from that. Yeah, now we're talking. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, at the end of the day, money really is just a tool and it's a matter of how you use it. Unfortunately, for many people, money uses them and they're controlled by money rather than controlling their money. So what are some common misconceptions that you see in today's society of people managing their money or letting their money manage them? Yeah, I think most people have stuck to the life script that they've been given. And that's from our teachers, that's from the government, that's from the corporate sponsors. Look, that you should happily accept Accept working for 40 years, happily accept going to school well into adulthood. I mean, seriously, like people are going to school at like 22, 23, 24, 20. I mean, come on. A human being is practically an adult at 16 years old. What are we screwing around for uh, in school at that age? So, but we all accepted this life script. And here's the interesting thing. We accept it as if it's always been that way. Retirement and the whole thing. But you take these beliefs, the retirement system or the investing, giving all your money to a financial advisor or even college or traditional education. These things are relatively new to homo sapiens. Some of the best things we have, like democracy and capitalism, or even science, these things were actually created by people who had no traditional education. Ben Franklin, no traditional education, none. George Washington, none. So I mean, he had education, but it was through experience. So anyway, just a lot of these beliefs that people have to overcome about money right now that they suffer from is that it's normal to finance your car, normal to buy a $50,000 car if you make 50, 60 grand. It's normal to buy a three or $400,000 home if you make 50, 60 grand or $500,000 house, you make $100,000. All these things that are normal because it's normal to make payments. It's normal to have three decade loans. All that stuff is normal, but it's only normal in your mind. It's really not normal. It's not sustainable and it's not really the best way to live your life. Yeah, sure. To be wealthy, it almost takes being unconventional. So you have to really break those social quote unquote norms in your mind and really think for yourself. Like we're saying, a lot of these beliefs really are not that old. You and I were talking before the show started about the history of the 401k, right? And it's only really about 40 years old, but people, you would think the way, the way people speak that this is a decades and centuries proven vehicle for building wealth and preparing for retirement. And that's one of those things, to be honest, the 401k is one of the things that drove me to being interested in real estate because it just never made sense. So what are some ways you see or alternative ways you see for preparing for retirement? I think if people focus on passive income right now, whether they're 20 years old or 50 years old, it can completely replace the entire 
plan of retirement because technically you could then retire in your 30s or 40s or 50s if you just focused on generating passive income. And it's just a shift of focus. So right now, most people focus on socking away the money. And look, they think I'm not going to do anything with it until I'm 65 years old. This Wall Street guy who lives off of fees and commissions is just going to take care of me and make sure I have a, a retirement nest egg there. But if you just said, you know what, screw that. I'm going to focus on buying one single family house right now. Just this one house. You don't have to buy 10 of them. One single family house or condo. And I'm either going to pay it off or I'm going to do a 15-year loan and have the tenant pay it off. Think about that income. I remember when I was younger, my first rental property helped pay for my car payment. And I thought that was really cool. And that was really a good shift of my own mind focus because I was so focused on saving, which saving is good. And we want a lot of savings. But to be able to actually free yourself of like, look, I'm going to actually use this passive income and spend it. And that's where you can actually become financially completely independent, not have to have a job. Because if you've got enough rental properties or other passive income coming in, just that focus on bringing income into your life. I I love checking the mail because there's always some sort of check for me. Yeah, I love that. Well, and what it's all about is what you're saying is buying assets to afford liabilities, right? Like you bought that first rental house and you said it was helping partially pay for your car, right? Whereas the traditional sense would be go out, finance a car over five or even six, maybe even seven years, I think people are financing cars up to these days. Rather, you went out and bought an asset that was going to pay for whatever liability you wanted, that car or vacation or increase in lifestyle or whatever that is. And I think that's a fundamentally uncommon way of thinking about assets and liabilities in today's environment. Yeah, no, uh, my entire lifestyle is paid for by passive income. All of the active income I make is just simply put into extravagant vacations or more <laughs> savings or that kind of stuff. But like everything from my bills to my housing to my wine budget, annual wine budget, it's all paid for by passive income. And today it's larger, but I'm telling you, when I, and you don't need that much. If you can cut your expenses and really focus on the passive income, you don't need to be a millionaire. You don't even need to be uh, half a millionaire. I had declared financial independence and achieved a liquid net worth of over a million dollars. And I was driving a 10-year-old Nissan Altima. Think about that. A lot of people find that unacceptable, right? Like, no way. But my wife, when we wanted to be financially free, she sold her ring to pay off our cars. We did crazy things. And we did whatever we had to. We moved. We got rid of our dogs that had medical bills. You can do this. It's just a matter of, do you really want to do this? Or do you want to do this and try to live like everybody else at the same time? Because you're not... You can't. It's, it's one or the other. Yeah, sure. And so many people might be thinking to themselves, Daniel, like, yeah, I would love to start building financial freedom and earning some passive income for myself, but you don't understand how hard it is to get started. Well, you, Daniel, you do, right? You've alluded to earlier in the show in your intro, you mentioned that you've built up a high net worth, lost it in 2008 and went and did that again. So take us through that kind of trial and tribulation you experienced and some of those lessons you learned coming out of the recession in 2008. Sure. So prior to 2008, I had purchased my first home at 18 in California. So you can imagine by 2006, the, my only experience as a person, as an investor, was that things went up and they went up <laughs> vertically. That was the experience. So by 2007, even though I actually did forecast the crash and public record still on YouTube, I thought that I was so smart and I could just get in the real estate market. I get 12 more in and I'll get out and I'll cash up and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, long story short is... Uh, 
six months to a year later, I found myself in a bankruptcy attorney's office with my wife. We decided not to file bankruptcy, but from there, it took many, many months to kind of figure out what I wanted to do and was kind of depressed and just, you know, everything I touched turned, touched the gold. And now everything was just a disaster. It was foreclosures and short sales. It was nonstop the phones ringing for credit card banks and stuff like that. So after the recession, my wife and I actually, instead of trying to get rich, we were like, let's just not be poor. And so that's when we cut into the expenses like crazy and literally reduced our expenses by 50%. Majority of that just came from simply moving an hour away from where we were raised and then started only buying properties that brought us a check. We're really religious about that. Prior to 2008, I was buying a lot of things for capital appreciation. That was just why it doesn't matter if it loses 200 a month. I'll sell it for another 50,000 next year. That was the big shift for me in 08, where I started only focusing on things that made money. Yeah, sure. And I think there's just such an importance to when you're investing for cash flow versus investing for appreciation, right? If the market goes down like it did in 2008 and you've got that cash flow, then it doesn't really matter to you if you don't have to sell that asset because it's not costing you every month. Whereas if you've got a dozen, or more, however many of these properties that are costing you, even if it's just a hundred or two hundred dollars a month, that still puts a strain on you eventually, and you're forced to eventually possibly liquidate those assets and then take a loss. So that's what a, where a lot of people got caught and got hurt in the financial crisis. So you kind of had this mindset shift, if you will, of going to start investing for passive income and stuff that produces positive cash flow every month, and that's really been kind of the driving factor behind being able to become financially free, it sounds. Yeah. And I use a great example of that 2008 crisis. The only property we kept was a duplex in a Southern state. It went from 130 grand to 65 grand, but the rents actually went up because so many people were foreclosing, they needed to rent. So rent demand was huge in 2009 and 2010. Now all the houses that I brought for capital appreciation, those all went into foreclosure. But this one little duplex, it was like the tiniest property in our portfolio, it gave me the greatest lesson that the income never stopped. And guess what? Today that duplex is way worth way more than 130 grand, but it didn't matter. Despite the volatility of the price, the cash just kept coming in. Yeah, that's an important lesson and an important takeaway for people out there trying to figure out how to build some wealth over the long term and achieve that financial freedom is the best way to do it is through cash flowing properties that aren't costing you every month and that are putting a little bit of money in your pocket every month. And you do one of those and then another one of those and then another. And eventually you will have built up several thousand dollars in passive income. And if that pays for your lifestyle, then you have achieved financial freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, what other money lessons do you have around investing, preparing for retirement, achieving financial freedom? Any other kind of takeaways or any other kind of lessons you've got to people out there? I would say don't accept what even the realtors or loan officers perception of real estate is because most of them aren't that knowledgeable. I would bet most realtors don't even own their own home or have an investment. And if you are an investor, you really should be only investing with a, a realtor who understands real estate investment because otherwise they're going to steer you wrong. They're going to have you buy at market prices. I've been very unreasonable with uh, the real estate transactions and that's done me well. So I, uh, when I say unreasonable, I've never accepted what the realtors or anybody thinks. And I'll, I'll give you guys everybody listening is probably gonna be shocked. But when I blew my credit up in 2008 with the credit crisis, and actually it's kind of started in 2007, I have purchased, I don't know, probably 40 or 50 homes and different type of buildings since that date. And I can tell you this, I've never applied for a loan and I've never got a mortgage, but I've always had a loan because I've only done seller finance deals. And it was because I was forced into it. When I had bad credit, 
I didn't just accept defeat. I was forced into unleashing creativity. So for the last 10 years, I have only purchased properties with seller financing. And now I sell them with seller financing as, as the bank. Yeah, lots of people make that strategy work. And when I can make that work in the few scenarios that I've come across that it makes sense for the seller and myself, yeah, they're phenomenal deals. So what you are doing is you're not applying for a mortgage from a lender like a bank. Rather, you're asking that seller to carry the note for you and you're going to make payments to that seller over an agreed term and an agreed interest rate. And that really helps a few ways. I mean, you don't have to go out and apply for a loan. You don't have to be approved. Your credit doesn't necessarily always matter. And sometimes you're able to do that for much less money down. So a lot of strategic advantages to doing it like that. Now, what has been your experience in searching for those types of owners or those properties? Because not every scenario works with seller financing. Sure. So there's owners that are actually advertising out there all over the country. So baby boomers want to retire. So obviously they're now doing seller financing deals more and more popping up. But the best ones are the sellers that can't sell their house. That's who you want to approach if you're a real estate investor. Because who I have found that is willing to work with me are people who are either in a distressed situation financially or need an urgent sale where, you know, look, homes take six months, but they need to sell it tomorrow or a distressed property like a property with a foundation issue. And usually I approach those sellers and uh, I'll ask them what they need. And maybe they only need $10,000, but there's 100000 in equity, but they've got to go or they've got to get this house out of their name because it's Wells Fargo is going to foreclose on it on Friday. And so those are where I can do some assumables or some sort of seller finance deal. It does take a little bit of knowledge on how to do it, but nothing that's not on the internet and freely available. So don't overthink it. It's still just a real estate transaction. But the people who are own the house right now, you're going to use their loan unless they have it paid off. And that would be a true seller finance deal where they just carry the note. Yeah, sure. What I love about what you've done there, Daniel, is you came out of this 2008 financial crisis with beat up credit and you thought, well, I'm not going to let that stop me. It's going to be a challenge for me to go get approved for financing for real estate investment properties, but there are other routes and you found a way to make it work. So if you're sitting out there thinking right now, like, oh, I don't have any capital or I've got terrible credit or I don't have any experience or knowledge in real estate investing, don't let that stop you because Daniel's proof that you can find a way to make real estate investing work for you because there's just so many ways ways to do it. Absolutely. And I would bet the listeners are in a better spot than I was 10 years ago. So <laughs> keep your focus. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, if you focus on cash flow, you can become financially independent. Yeah, sure. So you've made passive investing the kind of cornerstone of your retirement plan. And well, essentially, you already really are retired. I mean, you get to do what you want, wake up when you want, no alarm clock, right? So you've already kind of achieved that financial freedom and essentially retirement if you want to. You could quit working and doing things today. Correct. It is a lifestyle that I've never Never officially said I'm retired, but I don't know what would change if I did retire. Yeah, sure. You'd still be able to do the things you're doing today with the passive income you've achieved and built in your portfolio. Correct. Do you think this is an achievable model for somebody who's maybe mid or late in their career, maybe their 40s or 50s, and they don't have a lot of time before they would like to be able to quote unquote retire? Is this a model that they can make work in say five or 10 or 15 years? So my wife was a teacher making about 50,000 a year. Because the real estate market had blown up, I was thinking we're in depression. So I got a job at night for working for a grocery store just above minimum wage. And we did it in about four years. So yeah, I think anybody at any age under any income, they're willing to focus on it and use those. They probably already have some savings that they can shift into cash flow. It's just right now in the stock market. But yeah, no, absolutely. I have no doubt that people can do it at any age under any circumstance because I mean, look, I, I wasn't in the best of circumstances when I did this. Yeah, sure. Now, how about scaling and growing this business model to going beyond 
just financial freedom and building a life you want, building a life that you're able to go on vacation and live a little bit more extravagantly than just the bare minimum and things like that. What are the opportunities and possibilities there? So that's interesting. So when you get your passive income to take care of your basic bills, essentially that's going to unlock something where you're going to compound it and it's going to snowball rather quickly, to be honest with you. Imagine, so this, we'll just use my life as an example. So I, we paid, me and my wife, we paid off this house that we needed to, we bought a really cheap house far away from our family and we just paid that sucker off. And then it started to snowball. All of a sudden, 1500 a month was just kept getting dumped into passive income investments. And it just snowballed from there, whereby two years later, we were like people who were financially independent, but not living a well lifestyle to people who are financially dependent. And now we could do whatever we wanted. We could do the $50,000 vacation over five days or whatever we wanted to do. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a really important subject to talk about there too, is once you've achieved financial freedom, once you no longer have to work or go and earn an income to pay for the lifestyle you're living, well, then you've got all of that time freed up to continue to like grow this thing that you're doing and build it and snowball like you're saying. And then from there, yeah, it just grows exponentially. So awesome stuff. I think it's really important for the listeners to just kind of think about and be conscious of their retirement plan and how they're going to build wealth and achieve financial freedom over the course of their life, whatever that looks like for them. And not necessarily just take society's social norm of advice of sock away a bunch of money into whatever retirement account and hand it over to whoever and expect for whatever type of return so that they'll be able to live for whatever they want to live. Yeah, I think it's just powerful advice for the audience members to think about. What other type of advice would you have to expand on that there? I used to be into fix and flips as well as being a landlord, but I always try to find these basic problems to fix, but I found out that it's very crowded. So if, you're ha- if you have a house that's worth 20%, it's under market, but it's only got a problem with paying carpet blinds, dozen people show up and then the thing ends up, their margins are really tight because then all of a sudden now everybody's bidding it up. But what I discovered by accident was something about foundation problems in my own area. It doesn't have to be foundation problems in your area. Maybe perhaps you guys might be finding other issues, but if you can find that issue in your neighborhood that makes a house unloanable, where a bank can't loan on it, all of a sudden you're like the one guy in a thousand looking at this property. And that's where you can really make a deal. That's where you can buy a house for 50% off. But you have to find that area. Now I bring the foundation problem up is because 15 years ago, I ran into one. I ran from it because I'm like, that's a $50,000 problem. And then I ran away. But that was ignorance speaking. I didn't know what that was. I just assumed it was a really big deal. And now I've probably done 15 to 20 foundation problems. I've never paid more than $5,500 to repair one. Can you believe that? They're like $3,000. I'm literally doing one actually right now. on I didn't think about it, but a rental property. But literally they're, just not that big of a deal. However, man, do they make them impossible for a bank to loan on something like that? So if you can find that in your area or just say, look, I'm willing to be that guy that goes to kitchens that had fire damage or something like that. You'd be surprised. The problems, everything's got an easy solution or a a realistic solution with construction workers, but it's scaring everybody away. So try to find the properties that are hated and people are scared to buy because that's where you're going to find the real thick margins. Huh, interesting. Yeah, and you're so right. Lots of people investors, banks really shy away from foundation problems for whatever it is. And I'm one of those people. I've come across properties that have stated foundation issues. And I just think like giant red flag, don't get involved. That's above my head. But as you're saying that they're really not that big of problems once you know how to solve them and once you're experienced with them. So if you can go in and find one of these problems that you're experienced at providing a solution for, then all the better to you, right? The bigger the problem, the more handsomely you'll be rewarded. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Awesome. So it's just so interesting to see how many ways you can do real estate, you can make it work for you. And more importantly, what it can do for you. Your life is a great example. You've gone from rags to riches back to, well, wait, <laughs> riches to rags, back to riches, however it is, right? <laughs> Wherever you're at now. Really cool to see that and just kind of see your story and share your journey. Now, as we're wrapping up here, we wrap every episode up with our lightning round, just a series of questions we'd like to fire at you. Are you ready for them? Ready to go. All right. Well, the first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And what'd you do to overcome that? It was my youth and no credit. I overcame it by actually applying some of the things I learned with the Carlton Sheets program. So I did oh, my, yeah. my first deal was creative financing deal. Okay, awesome. Well, Daniel, what personal habit do you have that contributes to your success? I am obsessed that there is a solution to every problem. My pet peeve, if somebody works for me and they bring me a problem without the answer, I get really ugly because to me, it's all solutions. There's nothing but solutions. Yeah, I love that. Well, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, I mean, that's a fastball down the middle. So I'm going to selfishly say futuremoneytrends.com. Sure, there you <laughs> because go. Because I have some great writers that I've hired and great researchers, and I actually love reading my own website. The personal finance stuff comes from me, but the news and stuff about uh, the economy, that comes from uh, some, some very brilliant people we hired. Yeah, awesome. Well, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? I love Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. I was tempted to say Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but that's a great space. But man, if you really understand Cashflow Quadrant, that was his third book, technically second in the Rich Dad series, but he just lays it out and it's a brilliant book. Yeah, sure. That's Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. We'll link yes. that book in the show notes if our audience members want to pick that up. And then last question, and in the lightning round, Daniel, if you were to give advice to your 20-year-old self, which you did get started investing in real estate, what would that be? Stop buying these properties, hoping they'll appreciate. Buy them that, and make sure they make money. <laughs> Buy for cash flow, not appreciation. Well, Daniel, you provide a lot of great content, articles, news resources, videos on your website, futuremoneytrends.com. So tell us a little bit about what was your driving factor for starting that and what audience members can expect when they go over there and check that site out. Sure. Like a lot of economic or uh, economic personal finance sites, it started off as just my wife and I's journey on how to become financially dependent because we were in the middle of it. And then now today it's morphed into more of here's my journey and then here's what I'm investing in right now. Here's a new idea that I've discovered that I'm, I want to participate in. Yeah, sure. Interesting. Yeah. So there's tons of great articles and resources there. And then you can go there and sign up for a weekly newsletter. It is weekly, right? Yeah, it's a weekly wealth digest. We send actually two emails. So one is kind of a personal finance email and one is whatever I'm investing in. And so yeah. you get two emails a week and it's completely free. The website is completely supported by advertisers. Oh, awesome. Really cool. And then of course, you've got your YouTube channel with tons of great videos there. This morning, I was in a rabbit hole there down watching those videos. So lots of great content there. Well, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you, sharing your journey and kind of just picking your brain about the world of real estate investing and preparing for retirement and ultimately achieving financial freedom to live the life that you want to live. So if our audience members want to learn more about you, connect with you, reach out to you, where's the best place for them to do that? FutureMoneyTrends.com. And if you go to the contact us area, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. I love talking shop. As I said at the beginning of the show, you got a money question or you want to talk money, I'm your guy. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Well, Daniel, hey, it's been a lot of fun catching up with you. As we're wrapping up here, any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members? Stay focused. I love it. Awesome. Well, Daniel, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Till next time, take care. Thank you. 
All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Daniel Amaduri. I hope you got a ton of value from today's episode. Daniel shared a lot of great advice and actionable content. If you want to learn more about Daniel and what he's doing, you can do so at futuremoneytrends.com. That website, along with all the other resources, are linked in the show notes for you. For more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.